Mindset Athlete Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness, which is an online training, nutrition, and mindset coaching business. First of all, I'd like to thank Lauren Williams for suggesting this quote to the show. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think, and execute. Not because of some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete. By Chris Hoth. And each week on The Mindset Athlete, we like to bring you inspirational athletes, a message, or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better. And on today's show, I've got Elliot Cockrell. He's the Plymouth Radius lead sports therapist, personal trainer at Marjan Sport and Health Center and founder of Machine Rehab. So welcome on to the show, Elliot. Thank you very much, James. Appreciate you having me on. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. So for, we'll go, we'll probably break them out each by each piece by piece. For those that don't know about Plymouth Raiders, we'll start there. Obviously, the people that are listening in the UK will know exactly what the team is. Can we start there? Yeah, absolutely. So the Plymouth Raiders are a team in the British Basketball League. That is top division basketball in the UK. Um, we're based in the southwest of the UK. And we, we, have a, we have a fantastic team town here. And we made playoffs last season for the first time in seven years. And yeah, I basically lead, uh, program, coordinate any form of uh, injury diagnosis, um, management and rehabilitation, then return to play, return to competition. And then I also uh, program and coordinate strength and conditioning as well for the team. So how has that kind of evolved over the last three months? So over the last three months with lockdown, obviously a lot of the, the players that we have are from overseas. Uh, so particularly the overseas players did have to depart the country um, when they could at their earliest convenience uh, when the league hit the pause button. Uh, they, the, the guys who went home, they all got home safely. Um, and then beyond that point, it's just transitioning into a phase where we, we don't want to go into any point of training um as our league hit the pause button at that time so we could have been in the circumstance where we could start again we could come back and restart we wouldn't want players to be in a position where they were under trained didn't have the durability to come back and manage the amount of load um, as a professional athlete and meet the demands of their environment so in in the perspective of you've still got those two main principles of keeping that performance high within their strength and conditioning, um, but then also preventing injury as well. And I think trying to manage that volume and that load is something that would come into play a lot more if they had to come back. But in that immediate time, it's about maintaining that fitness and potentially improving it if, if they have the resources to do that. And obviously I've seen you very active on social media, more specifically with Instagram. As some of the questions around that you've been asked, and obviously you've put it out the feelers for people to ask you questions, which I think everybody should do and, 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 and actually use that resource to a benefit. Has anybody brought up the, 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 the subject of the, the actual detraining to you yet? Not in the, in the pure sense of using that term, but 
there are very many variations of detraining. So particularly when individuals, not necessarily my athletes, but people who are just reaching out, as you say, um, and just saying, you know, what can I, what can I do for this in this time, whether they want to improve or whether it's something they feel like they've lost. Um, so had a few people saying, I want to improve my vertical height. Um, had a few people saying that I'll basic things like I want to improve my running time or what would you recommend to support my transition to this different type of training? So as we know in, in the UK in particular, um, gyms are shut and then people at home, cause you have a gym membership, it's a little bit odd that you would have gym equipment at home. Uh, so a lot of people are changing the way that they train, changing the way that they exercise. And it's definitely people are becoming increasingly aware that they need to support themselves just beyond doing the exercise itself if they want to improve and they want to Im- prevent injury. Um, so they, a lot of people have reached out, as I say, not exactly using the terms um, as I would use, like detraining, but they've definitely speculated the fact that they want to improve or they want to restore certain physical properties within themselves. You talk about obviously uh, reinstating physical properties into themselves. And this is probably arguments that I've heard as, as a personal trainer and probably you have to, to a certain extent is how do they, and I'm going to use a scientific word and I apologize to the audience, a sti- a create a stimulus when they've only got access to home equipment. So that's a fantastic question. Um, the, the stimulus in itself, um, especially when they're trying to improve, you and I will, would describe that as progressive overload. Um, so if you've only got your body, how are you going to make that more challenging? Um, so progressive overload, when you're in the gym as a personal trainer, you can either play with the amount of volume that they do, whether that would be reps and sets. You can add weight or you can manipulate rest time. Um, obviously, there are wider techniques that you can use in terms of your programming, but uh, we, we shan't delve into that today because that's a whole other conversation. Mm, definitely. Uh, but that, what I've tended to do, yes, you can still play with sets and reps, um, but for some people who are considered trained and they've immediately transitioned into doing bodyweight stuff, that's not always going to cut it because you could be there adding, yeah, we'll add another however many reps and you're just adding length to their session. Yeah, they're still getting more out of it in terms of volume, but that can, it's not just the physical action of training that is stimulated when you're doing that session. You still want to get the most out of it. So for me, the most thing that I've enjoyed playing with is tempo. So the speed of movements, adding in isometric causes, slow eccentrics, things that make, repetitions more challenging uh for a bodyweight exercise well obviously that brings its own hurdles doesn't it Elliot? in terms of because we discussed about what we were going to talk about today and we've kind of gone off it a little bit but i'll bring it back around to talking about obviously re- the, the importance of probably prehab as opposed to rehab in that circumstance because ultimately if you're going to play around with tempo if you haven't got good technique good form and the muscles doing what they're supposed to do, you're obviously setting yourself up for injury. Absolutely. Um, the the amount of times that I've requested videos of big moves, um, well, what I would consider a big move, so a squat, a hip hinge, um, a push-up, I request it all the time. 
send me a video of you if you doing it or even if you're not going to send it to me video yourself and do it and be self-critical um, because it's one thing me having a look at the video and saying right we need to improve x y and z in these regions if you can sit down yourself and do that then whatever exercise you're going to do after that you're going to do exactly the same so if you could self-critique yourself for whatever period you're in lockdown that's going to make each exercise more effective for you because you'll know that you can improve yourself um, and, and do it independently. Uh, beyond that, it's more the case of that form needs to be nailed. I always preach it all the time, no matter if you're amateur, professional, mastery of body weight is key before you go slamming on external weights, really. Um, I'm sure that you've seen it as well, particularly around the new year. You have a lot of, would say, immature, immaturely trained. They're not experienced and come in and instantly try and lift weights instantly. And I've, particularly with teenagers, um, and I was one of these teenagers, so I'm 100% guilty of this, instantly wanted to come in and bench press. But I could not do 10 strict pull-ups or push-ups or squats with my own body weight so that is something a mastery of body weight and then i always use gymnasts as the example uh because they are masters of their own body weight i still do resistance exercise now i'm fortunate to have equipment at home but i can't do what a gymnast does and they have done that all with their body weight and that's pure form correct strict it looks effortless it's a skill when your form looks like it has a high amount of skill, it looks like you're using the least amount of energy required to do that, to get your input and output. Um, and that's always what I would try and identify if I received a video. So why is there this uh, egotistical view of body weight then, in terms of deeming it not um, as important and more fixating on the weight? I think that's something that, socially everybody's put onto it it's social it's socially desirable to go in and be able to lift x amount of weight whether that's within yourself you like to do it yourself but obviously you're going to get enjoyment out of other people saying oh wow how much are you lifting how much are you putting on the bar where whether that's in person or on social media uh definitely socially desirable to be someone that is strong and capable of lifting an awful amount of weight um, but to do it safely for me is far more impressive. Uh, but then I think that's just because of, I'm a professional um, in my field. If I see someone who's got a fantastic back squat uh, with great technique, then that's highly commendable. I've spoken to a few people about their squat technique and how fantastic it is and what they've done to get it there. And a lot of the time they're not lifting tons and tons of weight. Do you think it's it's a bit like the example of uh, just for aesthetical appearances, a bodybuilder versus a strongman? That obviously they're physical; they look strong as a bodybuilder versus somebody that looks, in most cases, obese but of strong. Do you think it's because of a, a kind of a aesthetic bias that people want to look like that? but don't necessarily see the benefit of these people are extremely, extremely strong. 
but they don't look uh what would I want to use particularly pleasing on the eye yeah I think there are definitely some origins from that but I don't think it's totally because of that I reckon it's evolved now uh particularly with social media I think like you say that aesthetically pleasing well for a for a male in particular that that v taper less than 10 percent body fat tanned should be on the cover of health and fitness magazines that's definitely something that's desirable still today and i don't think really there's ever going to be a time where we'll get rid of that stereotype um but then also i don't think it's something that we need to get rid of either because it still presents us with like we're talking about now this is a valuable lesson this is a great teaching point and it's still something that i go through with my pt clients and it's still something that i go through with my athletes because yeah you could look aesthetically in fantastic shape but at the end of the day it's still going to be your strength and function that contributes to your everyday life and contributes to your everyday living it's still going to be your strength and function that contributes towards your performance and you continuing to perform because strength as we know is the best form of injury prevention out there and that's something that i always try and try and teach um Education is a fantastic tool. I also work um, within my role with Raiders. I, I supervise nine Plymouth Marjon University students that have a working learning placement with the team. And education is a fantastic tool because once you're educa- educated, you can make informed decisions and whether that's just for yourself or whether it's for those that you are helping. In, in my case, athletes, clients, then that's such a powerful thing. And, Yes, I completely agree with you that we still have that baseline comparison between the super aesthetically pleasing bodybuilder and the strong man that doesn't appear as though you want to look like them. But they are incredibly strong. Um, I, I don't think either pictures really um, are, are health but they are definitely two contrasting images that I think have impacted uh, that social bias quite a bit. Do you think in an ideal world, it'd be kind of a combination of the two and kind of have an athletic build and, and what, what, what I define that as an athletic build would obviously depend on the sport, but the, from an appearance standpoint, it is both aesthetically pleasing, but you have that element of strength there, there on in it as well. Yeah, completely. Um, and that's something that really I think personal trainers should be getting that message across a lot more. Uh, I'm not saying that a lot of PTs do not do that. I'm friends with so many trainers that get that message across that health and function is what is going to benefit your life long after the sessions that you do with them or you do with me. It's something that you can take on and transition. Uh, and yeah, to have that blend would be perfect, but just like getting that ideal aesthetic look that you want to, to get that perfect blend still takes time. It still takes a lot of work. It still takes some patience and positivity. But is that difficult for some? And I know we're talking about obviously the athlete mindset. I think the athletes probably 
downplay the importance of that sometimes. I'll, I'll use me because it's easier because like, there's no bias. But they gloss over the, the importance of the process. And I talk about the process a lot now as a coach in terms of you have to enjoy it. And I think, and you've probably seen it with some of the, the guys you've worked with this season, there's certain elements of training. I don't say they loathe, but they probably rather not do. And you've got to kind of stoke something in them to get that little bit of, a little bit more ounce of sweat out of them to kind of come on. Kind of, yeah. kind of way of thinking. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Um, I haven't come across too many incidents of that. I've been, a few of the players have said to me like, oh, Elliot, I really don't like this exercise. But then it's always, again, using that education. Just as I would use with the students, I'm still going to educate a player and say, well, this is the reason why we're doing it. And this is why we want it to look like this. And when you look like this, you'll feel it in these regions. And you should be getting trying to develop that mind-muscle connection with these regions. And think about this musculature. It's something that then, again, if you reinforce that to them, it is something that they could potentially take forwards. And once they develop an understanding of, this is why I'm doing it, because it's going to transfer to my game, my profession, then I feel like it's a completely different mindset from what a PT client would have mm. because they want to perform at their sport bottom line if there is a potential transfer and you have told them what the potential transfer could be even if it's a particular exercise they're not very fond of um very few of my athletes were fond of the Copenhagen exercise this season um personally I've done it myself as well I'm not a big fan of it but I know that it's going to prevent adductor injuries because I know that clinically that's going to be super effective for that. So I'm going to put that in there because basketball players do a lot of lateral movement, lateral sliding, rapid change of direction. Adductors are going to be tasked. So let's bulletproof them. And once I have that conversation with players, the buy-in, that trust through that education is there they've bought into it because you've given yourself you've given them that time you've given them that explanation transitioning back to a pt client i think just really trying to be open and again it's what you picked up on highlight the process is a difficult one it's tough it's by no means easy if it was really easy we probably wouldn't have an obesity crisis in this country and once you, yeah, you don't always have to give facts and figures, but if you were just a hundred percent honest, then I feel like that's the best way to get the most out of your clientele. I, I hear so many propaganda saying, oh, you're going to look like this in this amount of weeks or look at these transformation pictures. And I'm not saying that those aren't real, but I'm saying, I don't think that's a sustainable way to coach a client. And obviously you talk about Copenhagen exercises for, for people that are less jargon oriented. And I'll use somebody that put in my group because he didn't, he wanted in layman's to, can you loosely be descriptive of what the exercise consists of? Cause obviously it, it being an audio 
format is very, very difficult. But in, as best as you can for people that don't know what the exercise is and then not having to Google it. Absolutely. So it's very similar to a side plank. Okay, so you're in that sideline position. But instead of having your feet on the floor, they're going to be on a raised surface. And then you're going to take one leg away. Um, the leg that you'd be taking away is the one that's closest to the floor. So that would be either, that would just be hovering in air. Um, and then your top leg, that means your the inside of your ankle or the inside of your knee, whether you want to do a short lever. So a short lever would be slightly easier. So that would be at the knee or a long lever. That's a lot harder. So the where you're supporting yourself would be at the ankle. And then you've got to use your groin to keep yourself upright in a straight line while supporting your, your body weight with your elbow on the floor. So you've still got your elbow underneath your shoulder and then on the top side of your body in that side position, sideline position, you should still have a straight line between your shoulder, hip, knee and ankle. Um, and that really tasks your core, your oblique region, um, your glutes, particularly your glute med. Um, so that controls um, hip, internal, um, external rotation. Um, and then your adductor group as well. Um, and it's an isometric exercise. So what I mean by that is you've got to hold it. You've got to hold it for an allotted amount of time. You can perform repetitions if you are getting used to it. Um, but particularly I find the, the isometric process and by evidence as well. Um, that is, is the most effective at strengthening the adductors. So I got a question for you, Elliot, then, for, for, unless I could be quite honest, in terms of the professional standpoint now. From a regression standpoint, and I mean, to explain for everybody else, obviously making it easier, if somebody's got shoulder issues, how do you regress a plank? As in a side plank or a front plank? Either. Uh, so if you've got shoulder issues, then you can still do it with less weight bearing if you're possible doing that. So you could either go to, you could go to your knees. So you could do the side plank from your knees. Um, also play around with what's more stable. So doing it from your elbow is probably going to be more stable because like I used those terms earlier of short and long lever, the longer the lever, the less state, the less stability you're going to have. Um, so doing it from the elbow would be a good idea. Um, and, and you could do that in a front plank variation as well. If you are still really struggling with that stability being that close to the floor, um, you could still try and vary the surface that you're using. So you want that surface, if you struggle with that stability and you want that surface to be nice and stable, then make sure you're using a hard floor um, instead of something like uh, a, a mat because mats can still have a little bit of spring to them. Uh, but I would recommend doing bilateral exercises first. So the front plank would be best because you've got both shoulders to support each other. Um, but then beyond that, if you did want to venture into a side plank, you could always reduce the amount of time that you're exposing yourself to that amount of weight on one side. So you may be able to do a front plank for 30 seconds on your elbows and on your knees but then you might be only able to do a side plank for say 10 seconds and that's okay. You've just got to work within your progression and slowly improve from there. Obviously if you did have unstable shoulders, I would be prescribing exercises to strengthen that. Um, not just try and move around the issue. So sometimes it's 
it can be the surface. And is it, would it be a red flag then if they've got instability in the shoulder versus the weight being the issue? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a red flag, but definitely a cause for concern. I think what would you you would have to look at is if you wanted if you had those shoulder issues and you wanted to do some form of plank variation, uh, that's clear. And you're doing it for what reason? So if you're doing a plank to target your core, then there you can always sub out the exercise. So if the beauty of exercise is there's always something else that you can do. So if you struggle with shoulder stability and you were uncomfortable doing a plank then there is another exercise that we can do to task your core in a similar fashion. And that's what I would be doing. And then uh, simultaneously prescribing exercises to strengthen particularly dynamic stabilizers like the rotator cuff, um, any form of uh, posterior muscle in your posterior chain, so particularly your rhomboids and your lats, um, to, to strengthen that region. Do you think that the uh, and, and the rotator cuff is? I, I know personally is even I've left it to to be desired at times. And uh, with me playing, well, not playing wheelchair basketball, it's probably the rest has done me, my shoulders, and probably most of my body the world of good. But it puts the importance into my consciousness of you need to do the work in terms of the. It's probably most things within exercise and you'll probably agree with this what you've forementioned are probably well the, the the back as a whole and your rotator cuff are probably the ones that are an afterthought for most people it's, it's i think i was watching um jeff Carver one of jeff cavalier's videos on youtube yesterday in terms of most people when they think of getting stronger chest and biceps, obviously the men, but whether we use male bias for that, whether or not it's the same for the women, I I, I would probably not think that would be the case. It would probably be other aesthetical things that they want to improve. But why do you think from a professional standpoint that is the case? Honestly, um, the I think you can't, because you can't see your rotator cuff, a lot of people just don't have knowledge of it. Um, because people will say, you know, they'll flex or they'll say, I've got pain here. What's that muscle called here? Um, and look it up, you know, look up shoulder muscle, something like that. Um, and I, I think that's such a, a big thing. Also back muscles, we can't really see them. You know, you, you go about your day, unless you have a good look in the mirror, you don't see your back muscles honestly I, I feel like that's what i've i've experienced if you can't see them a lot of people don't talk about them but in terms of not training them i think it's um it's not a concept really I, I've, I've given much thought i think it's just something that's quite unfamiliar to me being a, a professional in my field and doing physical exercise since well resistance training doing physical exercise well I could throw and catch a ball before I could walk. Um, but uh, I think resistance training, I, I knew I had to, I had to hit back uh, because of just because of the sports that I played. Um, I, I used to swim a lot and I knew that having, having a strong back was really going to help me. 
uh, and the people that I would look up to always had a, a strong back, big V taper, and they were great swimmers. They were fast. Yeah, I wanted to be quick. So yeah, I knew I had to do that. But I think that was pure accident. Now that you mentioned it, it's definitely something that I haven't need to consider a little bit more. But in terms of like the 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 actual shoulder health and i think you you did mention on one of your videos on instagram about at the beginning of lockdown i think england is phasing towards most people being at back at work now but being stuck in stuck in an office at home very much yours i think you're standing up i'm sitting down uh, and this will use i use me as the example obviously that the hunched over anatomy that that's the, the body position or posture that's that's going to cause and not having that training in place, what we just t- touched upon in terms of the importance of the back, is going to obviously going to make that even worse. Yeah, absolutely. Um, rhomboid strengthening is key to keep those scapulas in place um, and put them into into a position that primes optimal function. A hundred percent. What you're referring to is that that kyphotic posture. So rounded shoulders, hunched, stooped forwards, um, a bit of a, a pokey neck posture, so your chin's coming forwards a little bit. Um, I, I call it the phone posture, so everybody does it when they're on the phone, pushing their chin a little bit further forwards. Uh, but yeah, you, you see really bad cases of hyperkyphosis, so uh, kyphotic posture, that is that excessive rounding um, within your thoracic spine, your mid-spine. And it's really, really important. Um, I had a few people reach out to me saying, thank you, Elliot, for posting this video because I haven't got my standing desk anymore. So many people are prescribed standing desks to avoid that pain and that discomfort. And I really understand that. I've, I've treated people who have had standing desks because they have had chronic T-spine pain uh, because it's stiff because they're in that position, it's very natural, it's very, let's face it, it's very comfortable to get into that protracted position, that rounded shoulder position when you're on the computer, uh, when you're on your phone. It, it's normal, it will happen. But what is important is that you still instill that routine to make sure that you're not letting your pecs get really tight whilst you're sat in that shortened position. So you're lengthening up your pec minor, your pec major. You're doing some form of pulling exercise. So rows are fantastic to strengthen your lats and your rhomboids. So you're pulling yourself back and remaining open and then remaining mobile, doing the mobility exercises that I've put on my Instagram to to really keep that T-spine mobile and, and try and avoid a high level of discomfort when you become stiff. And I'll, I'll I'll move that nice on to I actually got a question for for for, for a guest from somebody else for a very change. So I give him a shout out because I spoke to him on the phone today, and he raised a good point in terms of, and I'll word it, read it word for word. Is it productive or counterproductive to train your muscles when they're sore? And what I mean by that, Elliot, in terms of you know, in t- for you and I doms is is it counterintuitive or we'll go a step further than that is it helpful or does it pose a hindrance to do that so firstly i think all that you need to address is your your periodization your training split so if you're still sore 
why is it because you've done a massive amount of volume on one day and then you want to train again that muscle within the week or is it because you have trained that muscle so many times within the week that you've just kept on breaking it down those are the two things that you need to address so as a natural athlete of course it's really wise to stimulate and train that muscle more than once a week um, personally myself, I do it two times a week, but theoretically you could do it three times a week. Um, as long as you've got a 48 hour rest in between from when you train that muscle last to when you train it again, then protein synthesis has had enough time to increase spike and fall away, return to natural level. And then you've had your rebuilding process from that initial session. If that's in place and you are training optimally and you're still experiencing those DOMS, I still think it's beneficial for you to go through the movements in order to train that movement pattern, that muscle group again, because you are still getting the same stimulation. Now, if you have DOMS and that perceived effort is incredibly difficult and it's too painful, the likelihood is you'll decrease the weight or you'll decrease the amount of reps that you're doing or you'll even miss exercises. If it's becoming like that and you're feeling like you're losing the quality of your session, that's when you need to take a step back and look at your programming itself. So you're still really sore for a reason. So say you've hit, let's stick to back because we've, we've spoken about it quite a bit. So let's say you've hit back and biceps on a Monday. Okay. I know it's, uh, we might get some haters saying that Monday is international <laughs> chess day. So I'm just saying it for the premise. Please don't at me. Um, but if you're looking at it from that perspective, how much volume are you going through on that day? And then later in the week, you go to hit back and biceps again or an upper body day, whatever. And you're still sore in your back region count how many sets are you doing in that day how many exercises are you doing in that day because if that puts you out of action to train it again later in the week then you're just affecting your training you're not getting the most out of your training so what i do and what i, I recommend to my clients and what i even give to my clients because i, I write their programming it's to reduce the amount of volume that you would do on that day which may seem crazy at the point and then add a little bit more volume into the other session. So they could be equal, but you've taken out volume from that first session. All right. But then when you look at it in terms of the week, you still completed the same amount of volume. If you were to completely smash your back and biceps into pieces on the Monday and then not be able to use them for the rest of the week, but now you have the added benefit of spiking protein synthesis twice. You've trained the muscle twice. You've exposed it to a stimulus twice. So therefore, you're going to get more results. So there is no harm in sticking to the same amount of volume for the week, doing the same amount of sets for the week, but splitting up into two sessions. Because from a biological level, you're actually going to progress a lot more. Anna, Ethan Pace, thanks again for your question.
so on on that basis then is it is it a is it a bias that people have then Elliot in terms of uh, and I used to struggle with this a little bit when it was uh and we're and we're going back a few years now um how many years we're going about at least more than eight years in terms of like a deload phase and and I'll give people a little bit of contact between that like going down and I use this sport because it's the one that's easier to remember uh we used to go um every training phase like every six weeks and there'd be a phase uh based on our fiver at max in that sport of volleyball and we had a phase of going up and see if i can remember it and don't hopefully nobody will call me out and see if i got it wrong but ultimately that's all right i think it was 80 percent 90%, 95%, and obviously come back down, and, and obviously you'd, you'd, you'd skip one to go back down. And what I always struggled with was when you, you'd take, I think, more than a 10% decrease. It felt it doesn't, it didn't fit. The, I would say the session wasn't, I devalued the session, but it kind of, did, it didn't sit well in terms of, I, I'm not pushing, I don't feel like I'm pushing enough weight. Yeah. Well, Deloads, just to expand upon that, that fantastic word that you've mentioned, um, I've, I've, when I started personal training, uh, I just automatically put it in people's programs and thought they'd understand and thought they'd just listen. And they, they were like, and a few clients raised it and said, Elliot, why have you put the weights down in the, the last week of my block? Why have you done that? Um, and and then that dawned on me that to think that oh people won't think that they're training hard or that I've made a mistake and that I've I shouldn't have put that in it's an error it's part of somebody else's program I'm copying pasting programs, um, and, and no I just had to explain that if you just carry on trying to achieve progressive overload all the time just keep pushing yourself against the wall your central nervous system will not thank you and you'll actually find a point when the weights that you're enjoying to slam on at the moment and, and progress and see the improvements, whether that is performance or physical, they'll start to decrease the not necessarily physical, but definitely the X amount of weight that you're putting on the bar. The, the likelihood when you have central nervous system fatigue is that you can't recruit the motor units that you want to, um, and you won't get the force output, so you won't be able to lift as much. As soon as I put it to people like that, they were like, "Okay, I don't want. I don't want to have to take weights off the bar on my next on my next training phase. I'll do that. I'll go for it." Um, but yeah, that again, like you said, you you want to push yourself. You want to go for it, and that's part of your athlete mindset. It's because you're hungry to to progress and push yourself and improve. And that's great. That's the type of people I like to work with. Um, you know, if all, if all my clients were like that, I'd be absolutely over the moon. But obviously you have to turn on the, the Mr. Motivator button sometimes in order to, to push your client to their full potential because everybody has that potential to improve and reach what they want. And that's my job to facilitate that. So implementing things like a deload is what is going to promote that end goal. And again, that's something that they've learned. 
So they take that away and realize, actually, I can't just keep hammering my body the entire time because it's not going to give me sustainable results. So I've used that word a couple of times. And the the thing is, I, I, I don't want my clients to be with me forever as a personal trainer. I don't want them to be with me. And that's not because I don't love training them. And I don't love facilitating what they want to get out of the health and fitness environment. It's because I want to make a positive life change to them. So then they can continue leading a healthy, active lifestyle long after they've had their sessions with me. That's what I want to facilitate. That's what I want to have a long term change, not just for the amount of sessions that you're with me. So educating, using tools like deloads using tools, explaining just because you don't feel sore doesn't mean you haven't worked and and highlighting about protein synthesis and what is the best way to train. There is no one way best to train, but there are definitely a few more efficient and effective ways to train. Do you think it is ultimately when it comes down to training it's a barrier more mentally for people than a physical and a, and a dietary one. Because what I mean by this, and so people can follow along to what I'm thinking, because sometimes I get lost in my own head. I uh, want to try and ask a question is, do you think people deem that they have a, a, a ceiling? And I mean, like a, a concrete one versus where, where, where you talking like the ideal client is an athlete where they see that as a glass ceiling, I can, I can punch through that quite easily whenever I want and better shape that versus a concrete one with more difficult. Do you think that's where most of the general populace lie? I know that's stereotyping a little bit, but do you think that's, that's why some of the things they find more difficult to comprehend because there's no performance element attached to it to what you said earlier on in the episode in terms of if you can relate why you're doing the exercise for a a performance gain an athlete's very much buy-in whereas do you think you have to go in in explaining your methodology to the general populace to that and then to agree to some degree more i don't think it really changes um, the the beauty of working with athletes and the fantastic opportunity I have with Plymouth Raiders to work with all the fantastic guys that I have with the past two seasons, they all have a common goal and that's because they want to win games. They all want to improve. They want to get better. They, and, and that makes it incredibly simple. Yes, they all have their own individual goals. They, they want to get out of the season. But then transferring that to the general population when I work with them in a, in a personal training setting, I think that's the importance of gaining subjective information in consultation, whether that would be a consultation form. I like to sit down and have a coffee with potential clients. Then they're not signed on yet. We like to, I like to go and have a chat with them and see why do they want to train? Some of them do have performance goals. Um, I've worked with quite a few runners now um, who say I want to hit this time and I want to work towards that and then that's challenged me as a professional because I've said right I'm going to expand my skill set and learn how to program your running 
Um, and, and I've done that a few times and it's worked out really well. Um, and that's just from educating myself. Um, and then obviously my skill set working on injury prevention, how are we going to keep them running? How are we going to make sure that their load management of increasing their mileage week by week is going to ensure that they're progressing, but they're not progressing into what I think of as a red zone where they're more likely to sustain injury. So for people listening in who potentially are runners or even cyclists, um, your overall mileage should not increase by 10% a week. It should not increase by more than 10% a week. So if you're going over 10% of your miles, the likelihood of you sustaining an injury increases a lot more. Um, slight, slight digression there. Uh, but I feel as soon as you identify what their goals are and what their barriers to exercise potentially previously is, then I feel like those are the best matches that you can make because then for somebody in my position, I can make informed decisions on how to, how to help, how to put that in place. It's not always about putting your programming together and ensuring progressive overload. Sometimes it's just about making sure they feel comfortable in, in a gym environment. I'm sure you've worked with clients as well, James, who they said to you, I really want to get, involved in exercise but i'm just really intimidated by the gym or i'm really intimidated by free weights because it's a guy's area or because i've never lifted free weights before or I, I just feel like i won't be able to lift the bigger dumbbells so i don't want to go and embarrass myself and pick up the smaller ones and i, I i've all i stick to this line quite a bit and it may sound a little bit cheesy but for me if anybody walks into the gym it's immediate respect because they're in there with a goal. They're in there for a reason. Everyone's on their own journey. Yes. You, that is very, very cheesy, but that is their own individual endeavors. And if I have the opportunity to support that in any way, then I consider myself fortunate. And that's something that I've really got to help someone to achieve. Um, no matter what that may be, it might be more barrier orientated or it might be more goal orientated the keys in that consultation to identify both of those. Well, I think people got to remember this, Elliot, and, and this has only come out this week, the episode uh, that I did with Shay, Shay Haddo, who is a, um, a coach for women's soccer in the US. And we talked about comp- comparison versus competition. And, and I think the gym highlights that in another area in terms of where that's ever present in terms of people have that biased coming in doesn't matter new or old uh either either or either one feels daunted and the other one feels a little bit uh superseded to that individual i've been here a long long time so i don't think people intentionally go out their way to intimidate but they might inadvertently do that because uh how they comport they comport themselves in the freeways area it's i i i probably a different one um where i live and i don't work there but where i train when we were allowed to i think the one member of staff felt probably felt intimidated by me because he probably didn't know how to approach might have just been his personality and i give him credit for that that because i've got a disability and i know what i'm doing that's it that's an intimidating fix, figure and that maybe 
if we even when we go back that's for me to probably communicate better if you feel that you have something to add add to my training or i'm i'm not doing this quite well technically i'm not going to take offense as you you're pointing out ways to get better and i might have to step out of my bubble which a lot of people like to do that's where they've got the headphones in so people don't disturb them whether where they're training not necessarily to zone out i can approach that person and say absolutely if you you need to say this 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 i'm not going to take offense if you say i could do an why what have you have you tried to do an exercise this way or have you tried this exercise to get a uh, obviously the performance gain that way is for me to probably do that and i think it is that pre- probably presumed prejudice either side of the fence probably puts up barriers it's not willing on the first hand for those that have been in the gym and i've got past that window of drop off to be more re- 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 yeah, i can't say the word uh, receptacle and respecting of some may have been that person years ago and be kind of come will be the guiding light to make this environment less daunting for you as opposed to probably what what is it, where it's probably counterintuitive at the moment yeah that sounds like a great conversation i'm gonna have to i haven't listened to that one so i'm gonna have to go and uh, and listen into that for sure um, because I, I completely agree. I think it's one of those scenarios where I don't think I've ever heard of a human being on this planet saying, oh, I don't want them in this area of the gym because they can't pick up X amount of dumbbell weight. Or I don't want them in this area of the gym because I've never seen them before. I don't, I, I don't think I've ever heard a human being say that. So for people coming into the gym to perceive that, Again, it's another thing that I haven't given much thought and something that I need to sit down and think about. But the, the, the great thing that you said there is being open to that critical conversation. I love it. If someone comes up to me and says, oh, Elliot, have you tried doing this yet? Or have you tried that with that exercise? And sometimes I'll go, yeah, yeah, I have tried that. And I, I wasn't a big fan of it. But have you tried this? Or sometimes they completely blow my mind and I go, coach me through it. Show me how you do that. What do you mean? And, you know, it's a little five minute intervention that someone can get a lot out of. And I think if you want to stay in your bubble, then you're potentially depriving yourself of learning something from from somebody else. As you can imagine, on the gym floor, my personal trainer bio is up in Marjon. So a lot of people read it. Um... There's only three PTs in the gym where I work. Uh, so the, 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 the pool of who you could work with is quite small, but everyone likes to have a little read of our bio. Plus is outside in the hallway of a university campus. And as you've been there, it's quite a small hallway. Um, and my face is rather large on one of the display notices. So people uh, can, can see this guy with, with a lot more hair than I do now. Um, with a big cheesy grin and a few words underneath. Um, so a lot of people turn up and say, oh, Elliot, I, I notice your background is in injury rehab. I've been struggling with this. 
can you help me? Um, and I'm, I'm more than happy to say, yeah, let's have a chat about it. But that's not just me as a professional on the gym floor. Even when I've been off shift and just training in there, a few people have, have come up to me to say, Elliot, I've really been struggling with this recently. Or it's just in passing conversation. Like, oh, you don't, you're done with the bench. Yeah, I am. I'm going to finish pack up early because my shoulder's still playing up. Oh, what's the problem? You know, just engaging in conversations like that. And uh, that's something that I've really been trying to do on social media as well. Um, people that I know just like the question thing on, on Instagram is a great tool. I love it. Um, obviously a few of my mates and the players in particular love to put a few joke questions in there, um, which always makes me smile. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think the, the, the messages are really, really clear. And because now we're in a different time where sedentary time has increased, people are asking me, I've got really bad lower back pain. I've got that stiffness in my T-spine. How can I sort it out? Now I've got neck pain as well. So, and that's just fueling my content, you know, to, to do the T-spine stiffness, to do um, neck stretches, to do the live video with um, the GG three on three basketball car- uh, charity uh, to, to coach people through it. And then now a lot of people are taking up running. And this is the power in that subjective information that has become even more apparent to me. So uh, I helped someone recently with a calf injury and they love going to the gym. They love doing it, but they can't do it anymore. I said, so what have you been doing resistance training wise? Bodyweight exercises? Have you got resistance bands, kettlebell? And they said, oh no, I don't do any of that anymore. I've just switched to running instantly and again because people have that is that's a true pattern of i've stopped doing my strengthening and i've gone in to do something which is really quite demanding upon my body you know every time you run six times your body weight goes through one leg when you land so if you compare that to how much you can lift in the gym you know you've and you stop doing that you're gonna have a little bit of detraining in that respect for your strength um and strength endurance as well um and and then you're going to have you your common pathologies that come with that so people have asked me writing about knee pain when they're runners or it band syndrome and piriformis syndrome so common pathologies that are associated with running with associated with the activity that a lot of people are, are going to because they can't access the gym and all i've sourced that through is that subjective assessment and i really think that's something that has complemented me as a personal trainer because that subjective assessment is so essential in an injury setting and being flexible within that has really helped me and to be flexible within that helps me within a gym environment as a personal trainer and as a regular person just using the gym as well to know that everybody's in there for whatever reason. And you raised a good one there and, I, and, I, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll utilize it to, 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 to quiz you on it in terms of the, and I will ask this as well. So to put some context for people listening, I was asked this a couple of days ago on somebody with a consultation with me in terms of they're struggling with the, I, I um, 
they deem it a stiffness in their IT band. Why is it from a injury preventative uh, stance not a good idea to foam roller? And what is better suited to obviously allevi- alleviate that pain? Okay, so, <clears throat> excuse me, clearing my throat. I'm getting ready to drop some knowledge bombs. Um, so the IT band yourself, if you think about the IT band, it's a big sheath of fascia tissue. Um, and if, if you think about that, do you think you can stretch or move that at all, really? Oh, is that a question to me now? Yeah. Well, I know the answer, so, so no. No. So when you foam roll a muscle, you're compressing it, and it's a form of myofascial release. So if you've got this huge IT band stripping down the outer side of your leg, is it really going to... The foam rolling isn't going to... Aggressive foam rolling, as you say, isn't really going to do much difference. But if you look at the musculature above the IT band, so what muscles run into your IT bands to form it? Well, you have your tensor fascia latte, which is a little muscle at the top of your hip um, and is one of the muscles that's responsible for hip flexion. Um, and then your glutes run into your, your IT band. So if you're saying, oh, it's really stiff, it's really tight, and you have muscles that, potentially if you relieve their tightness that could affect further down the chain in your it band and prevent that soreness on the outside of your knee then go for it so if you did any stretching of the glutes um uh i particularly prescribe release of that that tfl because it's a hip flexor so we're in this state where a lot of people are sat down for large portions of the day and they're sat down with their hips flexed so hips are flex all day. Let's have a look at those hip flexors, particularly TFL. Let's have a look at the glutes. Um, are they particularly tight or are they weak? Uh, are they causing extra stress on that IT band when you're running? You know, uh, do you have a vast amount of internal rotation so your running gait is slightly off? I think as soon as you start to break down the anatomy, you'll begin to understand that the IT band is mainly connective tissue. It, it doesn't serve something that is of massive functional purpose, therefore hammering it with a foam roller, whether I've seen some horrendous things on social media using a PVC pipe, um, a barbell, seen a barbell a few times. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm always a, a big advocate of, of strengthening as well. So, if you're strengthening glutes, particularly glute meads, um, any sort of prehab that's going to facilitate you carry on running, then it's a hundred percent necessary. I think you you've mentioned the glute mead a lot of times, Elliot. Why why do you think it is an a, a muscle that is underappreciated in terms of not actually actively recruited in training? I think a, a lot of it, I'm a, I'm a big believer in lumbo-pelvic control. Um, and I preach about that a lot within my posts, particularly because it has an effect on so much. Um, so your, your pelvic position, 
um, and how that interacts with you from a static and a dynamic purpose is huge. Well, literally, it's, it's the bridge between your upper and lower body. So surely it's got to have a big role. Um, and, and glute med. So it's responsible for that hip external rotation. Um, working in basketball, knee valgus on landing is something I don't want to see. Um, so it's a big part of my day trying to address that engagement and make sure that knee is coming out. Um, and for people listening in, uh, a knee valgus position with a foot in a planter position followed by a forceful twist um, is one of the mechanisms for an ACL injury. Um, so that's your anterior cruciate ligament. Um, ACL injury basketball are sadly quite common just because of the nature of the sport from jumping, landing, change of direction. But if there are preventative measures that I can avoid a knee valgus position, then I'm going to, I'm going to put everything in my power to, to support that. Um, but yeah, glute med, I think it's just underappreciated because even in dynamic movements like running, you see a lot of people running knock need. Um, so that's what I mean by knee valgus, that your knees are, are coming in a little bit. Uh, and it, it's, it's super important. And that posterior chain, the glutes again, are a big part of that. You've got three of them. Let's train them all. Let's make sure that they're, they're active, they're strong. And now when you start to think of, is my knee pointing out instead of coming in, you start to think about several things throughout your day where your knee could come in. So in the gym, squats, do my knees collapse? Do I have knee collapse when I squat? When I'm going upstairs, does my knee come in or does it come out? It's, it's something that is not often spoken about, but um, I preach it all the time. That glute med is, is going to support you in more ways than one, um, particularly as your one big kinetic chain. So if you haven't got that external rotation capacity at that hip, then the likelihood is you're going to have an impact at the knee. You're going to have an impact at the ankle. And, and that's thinking the body as a whole and particularly saying that that lumbar pelvic control, the bridge between your upper and lower body, once you become familiar with that concept of you're that big kinetic chain and you need to be strong all over, I think that's unlocking the key to a lot of pain-free motion. So my penultimate question on, on that note then, Elliot, then obviously with lockdown, what have, what's the most you have seen from people re- reaching out to you? Has it been under-training, over-training, or somewhere in between? Um, I would say more likely to be, oof, do you know what, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, I, I would say increased sedentary time has increased pathologies that are quite common anyway. Um, so back pain, it's become more common, but it's quite a common thing anyway. You hear so many people saying, oh, I've got a bad back. Um, People still work in offices, despite people working from home now. So that T-spine and that cervical spine, that you're still going to have pain in those regions and neck stiffness. But I would definitely say it's not necessarily overtraining, 
but the change in training because people have still developed a love for physical exercise to have in their everyday life because they live a healthy active lifestyle so without the gym they're going to replace it with something else something that they're potentially not primed for and that's what i've seen the rise in i wouldn't necessarily say it's the they're too different between each other but i think overall um the the rise in people changing the way they train has contributed to the pathologies that they're suffering with whereas the the commonness of back pain as a as as a general has gone up a little bit but that's probably correlated with a more sedentary time i would say the the shocking change that i've identified is definitely that that training alteration to to replace the gym well, probably a study for a university to probably to, to, to do the statistics in that so over to the academia for that yeah well i'll i'll propose it to a few of the third year students when we get back um in september hopefully and maybe they'll pick it up for their dissertation well it's a good read it's a good read uh beyond that because obviously it relates to everybody in society not just how research generally is being on a certain certain aspect of a population yeah that that's definitely one of the things that when you're at university you you look at these papers and you think that's absolutely fantastic but it's within a specialized population so one of the critical aspects you can be within the limitations is you can't generalize that to everybody that you would see that you come into the clinic so when i was studying and the students that are fortunate enough to study at Plymouth Marjon University now, we have um, a sport and well-being clinic. I think it's called Health and Wellbeing Clinic now. Um, clinic manager is going to listen to this and shout at me. Um, but the, the the we have a lot of general population coming in. And living in the southwest of the country, running is enormously popular because you have great sites when you go out running. Um, so the, we do have a lot of runners coming in and yeah, you see these studies and you think great, but it's with, it's within X population and it doesn't apply. I think exactly what you're saying, the, the, the likelihood of that research would be, have great application and I hope, I hope someone takes it up now. Just have to wait and see. So on that note then, Elliot, my final question to you before we wrap up the episode then is if you had to summarize what we've been speaking in, about into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? I would say, ooh, that's a difficult one. We've covered an awful lot. Um, one sentence I would summarize as Injury prevention is far better than cure. And if you're thinking about going into the gym in order to strengthen and prevent injury, you should really just go for it. And not worry about preconceived ideas and more worry about what you want to get out of it in terms of something that's intrinsic for you. So once again, Elliot, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. Thank you very much for having me, James. I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's been a great time. Oh, the pleasure's been all mine. 
If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let Elliot and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on Instagram at machine underscore rehab and at James O. Roberts 11. And again, you can do the same on Twitter and Facebook. And in addition, if you had a question, don't hesitate to shoot them over as well. And finally, don't forget to check out his website, machinerehab.com. And as always, don't forget to check out my free content at fitamputee.co.uk and click on the tab resources. But not forgetting, I've also started a new Facebook group, especially for the show, which you can find by typing on Facebook, The Mindset Athlete. And last but not least, I've also rebranded my other Facebook group to adapt, master and improve your exercise and diet to help you lose 10 plus pounds. So make sure to check those links out. They will be in the description. You can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipson.com under the category general. So once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next week for another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast.